We're in St Kilda this morning. This bloke's been sitting here all morning. I meant to say good day. What's your name? It's Ben. Where are you from, Ben? Uh, Tassie originally. Mm. Just on the way back there. We've just had the year in Adelaide, just mm. gone, and uh, doing the trip home. But uh, we diverted specially to come here today. Oh, good on you. Well, what do you do in uh, there? Well, I work in uh, IT, computer project management type stuff. Yeah. So how long? Yeah. Did that? And did you just find yourself in that, or you had to do that because that's where the work was? Or a uh, bit of an interesting story. I think it started out in forestry, so measuring trees in the bush. Um, and uh, in those days, late 80s, computers came in and uh, worked with a couple of really uh, interesting, innovative forestry guys who had been to uni and done their forestry degree. And they uh, introduced computers into forestry, so we started using computers to map inventory and map uh, coops and they said well you're a young guy you should know about computers so get into this and they supported me to go to uni and uh, get a degree and they were really good so uh, a couple of guys Mal Hatcher and uh, Peter Crossing if they happen to be listening uh, Paul Nichols, Andy Warner the really innovative guys in uh, in forestry in Tassie in the in the late 80s. When you see a truck with trees on it which I often do um, I was interested to see the chalk marks on the back um, the other day and I thought I wonder what they and Blake explained one's the girth in the middle of the tree and the other's the length of the tree. Yeah and uh, sawmill or saw log grading so they used to have a, a hammer that they'd hit the log with and put a, a, a mark on it so they knew whether it's a grade one grade two log and uh, when it gets to the sawmill they know what to do with it then. What by the sound? Uh, no, they, they, they assess the log in the bush for, for straightness and knots and all those sorts of things. And then someone, a grader, you'd have to be qualified as a, as a log grader. You'd come along and hit it with a hammer uh, and put a mark on it. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. It's just like a bell, you go ding, and yeah. so it's B-flat. No, it used, used to be a physical hammer, and then they went to paint and chalk and all that sort of stuff. Different, different places did it different around Australia. But, yeah, it was, so, yeah, it went from forestry to, to computers, never looked back. Your name again is? It's Ben Charles. Ben Charles, good on you. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Ben. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Maka. Thank you. My next guest has got his uh, Brighton Icebergers uh, woolly shirt on. It's like a football jumper. It's like a Geelong jumper, really, isn't it? <laughs> Very close to a Geelong jumper, Maka. It's Ross McDowell, ladies and gentlemen. We did our program some years ago down the road here, down at uh, Brighton. Brighton, you were there with the... The pants rolled up to the knees, standing in the cold water, oh. shivering. Oh. We uh, just gradually talked about how lovely cold water swimming is. Yes, exactly. And I've got friends who swim in other parts of Australia where the temperature is probably 18, 19, 20 degrees. What, what's the bay at the moment? Well, the bay actually has rocketed up to a tropical 18 at the moment. And so wow. we're, we're struggling uh, afterwards. It's that warm. <laughs> now, Ross, tell me a tell me a story. You, we used to know you as a master shaver. The master shaver. In fact, I've spoken to you from many places around the globe. Santorini. Santa, yes, Santa Pay. I remember that time it was the middle of the night. You were here in the beautiful morning. I think it was in Sydney, and I was standing on a breakwater about one thirty in the morning with scantily clad women running around me with champagne bottles with sparklers, and I'm trying to talk to you seriously about a topic. It was very <laughs> hard so we're in the lovely Melbourne next to Luna Park now it's a bit different. Yeah, so you can hear the screaming and uh, kids on rides and stuff here at uh, Luna Park. You, you can you can so today I'd just like to tell you about something that I've been doing which is the Bergonomics podcast because you've been talking about economics mm. and it's one of my great passions and 
of a podcast that demystifies economics so that people can understand how it affects their daily lives because most economists just want to confuse us and, and baffle us and we walk away with absolutely no idea what's happening in our lives or why we haven't got the money we should have. So you do, you do this yourself? So, I do, I do. so have you got some sort of training in economics? I do, I do. That is, in fact, my original training. And uh, the podcast is called Bergonomics, and we get leading uh, economists and uh, notable industry figures from around Australia, such as uh, Professor Alan Fells, our inaugural chairman of the ACCC. Um, we just recorded uh, the economics of the battlefield with Major General Mick Ryan, um, and we look at the, the specific effects that interest rates, inflation, all those numbers that we don't really understand, how they were affecting our daily lives. I mean, 30 years ago, if you had the inflation rate we had now, the interest rate we had now, and the unemployment rate we have now, we'd all be clapping, we'd be laughing. It would be economic nirvana, mm. but in fact, that's not happening. People are struggling, and it's interesting to know why and we cover those topics along the way. I mean, such as our farmers, for example, are getting half the amount of money for their lamb and their beef, yet it doesn't seem to be reflected in the, uh, price, price, of cho- the price of chops at the supermarket, does it? No, it never does. So where's the money going? Mm. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> well, they're the things that we, uh, we look at, you know, what day of the week to buy your petrol and why yeah. you would want to buy your petrol on day of the week. And, and I suspect... For many people, from anecdotal evidence that, as Kieran said, when he looked at um, the podcast of some women, you know, housewives, they were talking about how tough it was, how much food was costing. They didn't have money for food or they didn't have money for childcare and all those sorts of things. So it's biting out there, isn't it? Um, And yet we're a very rich, affluent country and a lot of people make a lot of money, but a lot of people don't make enough to get by now. And that's the whole point. Why are all the numbers so wonderful? There's so much money around and people can't afford to buy houses. People can't afford to stay in their houses. Um, People that have retired, why can't they make stable income, secure income, out of bank deposits? All these things are changing and we give up on trying to understand them. So we start the Bergonomics podcast with that premise and at the end of the podcast, no no matter how important the expert is, Macca, They've got to relate it to the simple hamburger. <laughs> really? So, if, if you're a major general, you have to sit there and say, well, people may be getting killed on the battlefield, but this is what happens to a hamburger, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> because you've got to take it down to everyday effects for people, mm. not, not a bunch of economists talking numbers and not knowing really what's you know, going on in people's minds and how it affects their lives. We had a young bloke in here this morning. Was it Chris, the runner? Was it Chris? Yeah, we had a young Chris here this morning, and he's a runner. Um, and he said running, you know, people are doing a lot of that now and getting back to... How, you're with the Brighton Icebergers. You still swim. Uh, do you get new members? Are people swimming more than ever now? Uh, after we were incarcerated in Victoria for a very long period of time, um, we weren't allowed to go outside um, or even breathe. The number of people that took up cold water swimming because of its mental health effects doubled our membership. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing. People understand how standing in the water, as you did up to your knees, or swimming for a kilometre in 9 or 10 degree water, it rubs a slate clean. No matter how you're feeling, you'll come out, you've forgotten every trouble you've ever had. <laughs> 
Well, and that's wonderful. I mean, it's it's like, as I said, my anecdote about tadpoles. I mean, I think if you get down and dirty with tadpoles and frogs and spawn and all that sort of stuff and mosquito wrigglers, I get mosquito wrigglers from another pond and I put them in with my little fish because um, the mosquitoes are very clever. They won't lay their eggs in the in the pond, I've got these little native fish called Pacific Blue Eyes. They're only little tiny ones, about you know two, three centimetres long. Mm. So I catch the mosquito wrigglers in the other pond and I put them in with, and they love it. They go nuts. They love mosquito wrigglers. So, but um, so there you go. So it's those little basic things of life. Very important. Yeah. We don't get many mosquitoes in Port Phillip Bay, but talking about getting down and getting dirty, we do have quite a few sewerage outlets sometimes around the bay and we become impervious to anything having yeah, swum through yeah, I've, them. I've known that about the the, the um, bright and icebergers, you're impervious to lots of things. Lots of, lots of things. It's a great word, impervious, isn't it? <laughs> it Rossi, uh, nice to, anything else to report quickly because I've got to move on? No, 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 no. Um, and I look forward to talking to you in the future, uh, my next trip away, wherever that may be. I've just come back from uh, six weeks in Greece and uh, the weather was fantastic over there and the beach is beautiful. So the next trip, I'll give you a call from the middle of the night somewhere. All right. Please thank Ross McDowell, ladies and gentlemen. Your name is? Dale. Dale, tell me your story, Dale. Uh, yeah, we're committed to uh, keeping the memory of Walter Lindrum alive. He was arguably Australia's uh, greatest sportsman. Mm. And it only takes a couple of generations for people to be forgotten, but uh, his records still stand today, which mm. are just extraordinary. And uh, I don't think there's any other sportsman that uh, records stand still today where someone's passed so you, on. So you said where... Who's we? Uh, Graham. Graham. Macca. Graham. Yeah. Pleasure to meet you, Macca. Uh, you. Uh, you're fantastic for the country, and you got to you got to do yeah. it for another. That's enough. Um, but so you you Walter Lindrum tragics. Is that the story? Basically. That's it. Um, Walter Lindrum, besides being a greatest sports person, and uh, Bradman called him that. Uh, he's got 56 world records, never get beaten. Um, he was also our greatest philanthropist. He was uh, given life membership of 11 organisations, uh, the Red Cross, RSL, Blind Society, the Alfred Hospital, the Women's Hospital, the Children's Hospital, Ballarat Orphanage. Um, he also raised money for five million cigarettes to go to our POWs and and troops during the war. And you wouldn't we, do that now, would you? Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't do that now. <laughs> he also he also fundraised for um, for for the, for the cause for fundraising for for the war cause, where he raised millions of dollars. So, how do you intend to tell me? Tell me this: Do they still play? Do people still play billiards or is, is snooker? I mean. 20 years ago, I remember on the ABC, Pot Black was very popular. That was snooker, but um, billiards I haven't heard of for a long time. So Yes, they do still t play billiards. They had the World Championships here in 2019, mm. uh, which was great to see. Um, it's not really a, a popular sport, but oh. there are a lot of people that are still committed to playing it. There is a great website uh, for Walter Lindrum called WalterLindrum.org. Uh -huh. Not .com.au, but .org. And it's worthwhile that people have a look at that. Okay. It's uh, Dale and Graham, hopefully keeping the memory of Walter Lindrum alive. Thank you, Ian. All right. Good on you. Thanks, boys. Thank you. 
and sitting next to me here in St Kilda O'Donnell Gardens is the bloke who's playing that guitar there and uh, many other guitars in those songs. His name is David Briggs. Please welcome David Briggs from the Little River Band. Morning all and morning matter. How are you, sir? Yeah, maybe you're talking this. Is, oh, isn't okay. It? Yeah, we'll talk That's much better. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, David. Um, uh, I've uh, long admired your work uh, playing guitar. Tell me, when did the guitar take your life or music uh, take your life? Look, uh, when I was 11 years old and the Beatles had hit, mm. I thought, that's for me. It's a common story, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, so, look, I was, I was thinking of my first times uh, down here in St Kilda. I, used to, I grew up in Booard, uh, you know, High Street Road, the number six tram, but uh, I used to come down here and uh, go to St Moritz when I was probably 12 or 13 years old and uh, go ice skating. And then uh, much, much later, when I say much later, 1971, I was in the house band uh, playing at uh, Oscars nightclub on the Lower Esplanade, seven nights a week, uh, uh, 8.30 till 2 o'clock in the morning, backing the local luminaries of the day and an exotic dancer if you don't mind. <laughs> and then uh, uh, at the ESPY, playing all those gigs at the ESPY and doing a lot of recording for people at the ESPY, which I did. And the, the Palais uh, with uh, the Little River Band back in the day. Uh, How did you get the gig in the Little River Band? How did that happen? Well, I was actually uh, the musical director for uh, Jeff Duff, who was the singer from Cush. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeff and I were in Adelaide and uh, LRB were... Um, uh, they were doing a couple of nights at the uh, Elizabeth Elizabethan Theatre, I think, or whatever it's called over there. And I was playing in Hindley Street at Countdown, which was the local seven-night-a-week rock late-night gig. And uh, everyone used to come down to uh, Countdown in Hindley Street and... Uh, uh, get up and jam, and uh, and Rick Formosa, who was the then guitar player of the Little River Band, came down, and he happened to come up to me uh, after the gig and say he was thinking of uh, leaving, and would I be interested in having my name thrown into the ring there? And so. Uh, uh, at that stage, LRB had never uh, toured internationally. They'd released the LRB record, the first album, and then After Hours. And uh, things were just being set up for them to go to the US and to the UK. And uh, so I uh, went for an audition and a couple of other players went for an audition and I was lucky enough to get the gig. And at the same time, they said, oh, we're interested in... Uh, changing the bass player as well. Do you, do you know anybody that we could look at? And I'd been playing at Peter Poynton's pub in Carlton with uh, George McArdle. Uh, and George uh, and I did a couple of auditions with all the guys and... Uh, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three, four weeks after that, we are on the plane to the UK, uh, did a couple of gigs in the UK, then... Uh, 12 gigs in Germany with the Hollies, then straight to America. And uh, uh, the average white band, touring with the average white band, Jimmy Buffett, who's just passed, mm. Little Feet, uh, incredible times, Mako. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you look back on that time because um, it's like anything in your life. There's a, there's a moment in your life when you do something and you think, wow, and you look back on it. And the, the longer you look back on it, I suppose... Yeah, I, I look back on my time and the, and the most enjoyable time I had in music, I think, was playing in a pub in a band with a full dance floor and everyone was just dancing away. And because it's that whole thing of rather than standing and playing for people, 
they're all having a good time too. So there's always times in your life when you think that was the best time in my life. Yeah, look, uh, there's been, I've been phenomenally lucky, really. I think, uh, I mean, uh, there's been some highlights in my life and LRB was absolutely, definitely one of them. Uh, I was, wrote the, uh, the song The Lonesome Loser. That thing... Uh, came out in America and bolted up the charts. It got uh, nominated for a, for a Grammy. It didn't win the Grammy. I don't feel bad. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's nice to be... It's always nice to be nominated, nominated isn't right. it? Yeah, I was, I was very happy that they thought of me, or thought of the LRB. But, uh, yeah, and that actually got nominated for uh, the best vocal arrangement, which is kudos to Graham Gable. Uh, vocal arranger of the Little River Band, and uh, tell, tell me about that. I was thinking about that. Um, play the intro to uh, reminiscing for for us for a minute. Now tell me, uh, I'm interested in, in Little River Band for lots of reasons, but um, tell me this, did Graham Gobel, did he, does he write all this and you play this, or does, does he say uh, we need an intro for well, Reminiscing? That was his song, wasn't it, Reminiscing? Was, yeah, Graham wrote that tune, but... Uh, 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 a both? Uh, look, there's, uh, there was a, Graham had a lot of input into everything within the band. It was his band... Creatively, musically, he was very focused on it, although uh, we had uh, Glenn Shorrock, who was a wonderful singer, songwriter, and B. Birdle, same thing, great singer, songwriter. Uh, Graham was really actively involved. Um, definitely he would uh, uh, take feedback from me and I would take feedback from him. You know, I mean, uh, I, I, I can't say I sat down and wrote that song, but I sure as hell showed him the chords. <laughs> The, the other thing that's interesting about everybody, I think, who knows anything about uh, music, knows that been, there was a great schism in, in uh, Little River Band, and uh, that's, you know, water under the bridge. The same thing happened in the Eagles. The, I, don't, I suppose it's, as you'd know, when you play in bands, small bands especially, I, I don't think that probably would have happened in the, in the Glenn Miller Orchestra. They'd say, oh, the trumpet player says, I don't like it. So he'd go and they'd get another trumpet player. But in a small group, say like the Eagles or the Little River Band, that's going to cause problems, and it did. Um, uh, you probably lived through those times. Was that uh, difficult? Can I say to you, look, uh, uh, being in bands is like a marriage without the sex. <laughs> <laughs> How long is that going to work? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, uh, I mean, LRB was business and it was friends as well. I mean, it was an interesting... I'd played in bands, as I said, since I was a youngster, and it was nothing like that. It was nothing like any of those things. It was pretty serious business. But that, I, was up for the, I was up for the challenge and, uh, you know, along the way... Uh, some of those guys became very close friends. I mean, uh, you talk about uh, Glenn Shorrock and Home on Monday. Uh, that song, uh, Glenn and I used to room together early on, and uh, that song was written in Las Vegas. I was there, and we were staying in the Aladdin Hotel. We were playing in the Aladdin Hotel, first tour of America, and uh, uh, he was calling his wife at the time, Joe, back in Australia, and uh, literally it was... 
Can you guess where I'm calling from? The Las Vegas Hilton. It was verbatim, practically. And he just sat down there and, uh, uh, you know, wrote it out after calling back home. And But, uh, yeah, I mean, songs come... Songs come and they stay and they, they identify a period of time and the people who enjoy them, it's a great thing. I'm, I'm just really lucky to be part of it. And after... Yeah, the success of LRB. You obviously continue with music. I know you, you're a producer and you do stuff for kids and whatever, whoever wants to get in the studio. Look, uh, 1979, I decided uh, there'd been a lot of things happened in 1979. I, I released, well, the LRB released The Lonesome Loser. I was interested in producing records for other people and I bought a property down in North Melbourne uh, just back from the Vic Market and converted that into a studio. I produced uh, the Boys Light Up album for uh, the Aussie Crawl, who I found in uh, the Polaris Inn up in Carlton. Uh, I started a record label with uh, Ross Gardner, uh, who was the Herald rock writer, rock writer at the time, and we recorded uh, an album for the Young Homebuyers. Greg Champion from the Young Homebuyers, he was uh, he, he's still around. Alex Burns from the Orphans. We did uh, uh, tracks for uh, local bands, the Orphans. Um, a whole bunch of people. Uh, and uh, I've uh, stuck in, in that area, the other side of the glass. I uh, lectured at university for 10 years, teaching audio technology and digital mastering and acoustics. Um, I still have my recording studio, nearly 40-something years on. And this guitar you've got with you, did you what, what is, tell me? Uh, this is a seagull guitar. It's what we're going to call a parlour guitar, made by Godan. It's a Canadian company. It's got uh, cherry wood on the back, I believe. Uh, and it's uh, small and cute. And if uh, my wife and I go to... Uh, uh, to Fiji every now and then. That's and Karen, who I've talked to yes. recently. She's over there. Good day, Kaz. Uh, we, go to, we go to Fiji, and this guitar is precious to me, but it's not that precious that I can't take it on a boat or on a plane. And so whenever we've gone to Fiji, I've taken this guitar, a uh, mandolin, a whole bunch of uh, ukulele strings for the locals, and I end up giving them guitar lessons. You know? oh, good on you. <laughs> Do you want to play something for us? Um, oh, look, no, not really. I think I, I, think I played that. I could go... Have you heard about the lonesome loser? But that's all. <laughs> please, thank, please thank David Briggs, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Your name is? Kath Croc. Kath Croc. And uh, you sent me an email some time ago, didn't you? I did, yeah. Uh, tell, me, tell us all about it. Um, well, I'm from the Hush Foundation. I'm a doctor at the Royal Children's Hospital here and we write music to make people feel calm and relaxed in hospitals. And, uh, and I played, uh, I found the, the, one of the Hush albums. There are lots of lovely songs on it and they are very sort of calming so, sorts of things. So the one, not, yeah. not like hip-hop or anything like that, no? No, not really, although quite lively, some of it. Mm. The one you really liked was the song about turtles mm. um, that Lior sang for us. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it is. A lovely voice. Um, so when did you start this, the music thing and the doctors? I know a lot of doctors who are musical. Yes, I started about 25 years ago now, mm. and I work looking after children with leukaemia at the children's hospital. Yeah, keep going. And um, 
I just, I found it really stressful for the families and also for the staff looking after really sick kids. And the parents said, what about some music? So we've now worked with 150 Australian composers and written new music that goes into hospitals all around the world. Yeah, music's the great karma, isn't it? Makes the world go around and like lots of things, you forget your troubles and if you're involved in it. Writing a song is particularly something that, draws you and you forget everything else because you're trying to make something rhyme or fit or whatever or a chord for it that you can't quite find. Yeah, exactly. And so for this particular album, the one that you like, um, it's called A Piece of Quiet and we interviewed lots of kids about life and the universe and their wisdom has come out in all these songs and so the composers sat with them and then wrote these beautiful songs. Mm. Catherine, you were saying... Well, the kids talked about how when you swim with turtles, they won't let you look underneath them. They're really, um, yeah, they're very... Pro well, none of us like that, do we, eh? Exactly. Eh? Hey, well, <laughs> very intelligent beasts. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations on a lovely song. and Thank uh, And thanks for coming down. And, yeah, more power to you. Keep writing your songs. And we'll keep writing songs, yeah. We'll keep um, health care nice and calm and we'll bring as much kindness as we can to people. Yeah. Is, uh, the, what hospital do you work in? The Royal Children's Hospital here. Is there COVID around there? or what? Um, Yeah, we've got another burst of COVID and staff are coming down with it. We've all got to be really careful. Mm. Yeah. Please thank Catherine Crock, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Doc. Thanks. G'day, what's your name? Giri. Giri, hi Giri and... Yogi. Yogi, Giri and Yogi. Yeah, I met you at uh, Rochi, Rochester. I came from, I'm from Sunbury. I drove all the way to Rochester and I bought this t-shirt as well. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, we're right next to Luna Park, uh, if you can hear the, the roller coaster. So you're Giri. Giri. And... Yogi. Yogi. So you've lived in Melbourne for how long, Yogi? Um, almost 20 now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why did you come here? Oh. Married uh, him, fortunately or unfortunately. She said married him. <laughs> uh, I came as a uh, student studies and uh, got a job, uh, settled down here, lucky country. So, mm -hmm. no, uh, yeah. No the only trouble, time. you're probably still barrack for India, do you, in the cricket uh, or something? Uh, no, I don't follow cricket. Oh, you don't follow? <laughs> wow. That's... That's anathema. You can't say that if you... Yeah. Yeah. I follow footy, yeah, go for the pies. Well, that's what I say. They're good on you. That's that's what um, that's what I say about AFL. That I'm and I'm not from Victoria. That that's the nice thing about the AFL, I think. And and I'm not mad about football and you know do all that sort of stuff. But it seems to me that it's been a great bonder of people from all over the world that have come here, and footy bonds them, and which is a great thing. You know, you'd, I couldn't take footy or leave it. You know, it's interesting, but. But it's, it's a great thing and it's important, I think, uh, when you've got people from all over the world, something that unites them, yeah. even if it is Collingwood. Uh, yeah, <laughs> go pies. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's been Thank nice. you. Yeah, I came, uh, Rochester was good, good ride, so I thought I'll come and see you again. You've been in St Kilda, so we've been listening to you from past five years. So, so where do you live from here? Sunbury. Uh, oh, you're all... The ashes. That's where the, the ashes started. The uh, ashes started. The Englanders of Australia. Really? Yeah. 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 There is, there is a 
Um, now there is a monument going on and there's a small office as well. They, they want to do uh, up as well. So the information center, for the, that's where the ashes started. Rupert's Wood Hall, yeah. Well, there you go. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah, well, I'll have to find out about that too. Yeah, yeah. sure. Here, please come to Sunbury. Show there. Yeah, we, yeah. Could, we could have a show in Sunbury. We could. Yeah. So it's... it's uh, Giri. Giri and Yogi. Yogi. Yes. Giri and Yogi. Please thank Giri and Yogi. Good on you, kids. Thank you. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.